Discover South Carolina presents The Palmetto Porch, a podcast featuring some of the most uniquely charming destinations across the Palmetto State. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I find out what's off the beaten path as I speak to South Carolina locals who know their towns best. Find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Welcome back to our fourth Christmassy Christmas time episode. Today we are going to be discussing a case that happened a few days after Christmas, but since it is still in the month of December and within like the holiday season, I thought it worked well enough for our Christmas time cases. Um, if you haven't been following me on Twitter, I think I did a post about this case. Otherwise, I might just be going crazy, but I know I posted a lot about the missing 411 cases last night because I started off watching documentaries about the case I'm going to speak to you about today, and then a missing 411 thing popped up, and one thing led to another, and I was up till 2 a.m. researching these cases. So, Tomorrow, as a little early Christmas gift to everyone, I am going to be uploading a episode on missing 411 type cases, and I'm also going to be discussing some of the weird things I've experienced while in national parks, because I, well, I have a family that really likes to vacation and go see like monuments and parks and all that kind of stuff. So I've been to quite a few, but something creepy has happened in every one, and a few of the things are a little creepier than others, but I kind of just want to go through those and see what you guys think, because maybe I'm just going insane, or maybe I'm taking it too lightly, I don't know. Anyways, follow me on Twitter at Great Unsolved, and we're going to jump into the Ashley Freeman and Loria Bible case. I'm not sure if it's pronounced Loria or Laura. I just hear a lot of people pronounce it Laura, so that's what I'm going to go with. But if that's not how you pronounce it, I am sorry. But we all know who I'm talking about. The whole case is still the same, and the justice that's needed for her is still the same as well. So, let's jump on in. So, this case starts off on December 29th of 1999. This was the date of Ashley Freeman's birthday, and her one request was to have her best friend spend the night. Her best friend was Laura Bible. It's reported that Ashley's boyfriend was also present for cake and ice cream that night, but left right after, which happened to be around 9 p.m. After that, it seemed like the Freeman family and Laura had a quiet night in. All that changed the next morning in the very early hours of December 30th, 1999. I believe it was a couple that was going to work reported about a house fire. And when people got to the scene, it happened to be the Freeman's trailer that was located in a rural area of Welch, Oklahoma. Firefighters reported the scene right away, and they did get the fire out, but the trailer was pretty much all burned to the ground after that. 
police also began to look over the remnants and made a horrific discovery. They found a woman's body face down on the bed in the remnants of the Freeman's like master bedroom. Immediately, an officer was dispatched to the restaurant that Laura's mother, Laureen Bible, managed. He went and he had to tell her about the house fire and that they found only one female body. But he did mention that this female body had a wedding ring on and had had children. Therefore, it could not be Laura. Now, I watched some interviews of the family last night. And when Laureen, which is Laura's mother, was describing what exactly happened when the police officer came to tell her, apparently he said that the Freeman's house was on fire and... I don't know what she said, but then he admitted that, no, the fire was done and they couldn't find the girls or Danny Freeman at this point, which sent Maureen into calling her husband Jay and panicking, and they headed out to the scene of the crime where they ended up just having to stand there because they couldn't do anything and the police weren't telling them anything. It was just, it was not right. So, it was also discovered that, obviously, this body belonged to Ashley's mother, but she suffered a gunshot wound to the back of the head, which means the fire was not the cause of death. She was killed before the fire. So, this now turned into a murder. According to protocol, the OSBI, or the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, was called in to work on the case because there was a belief of arson or something along those lines. And the leading agent on the case was Steve Nutter. Now, before we get into everything they did wrong, I just gotta tell you, I cannot stand Steve Nutter. Just everything with this case, he was negligent and he wasn't doing his job, he wasn't following protocol, and now he won't even comment on why he didn't do some of these things because obviously he knows he was in the wrong and the thing is that as we get more into this case you'll see that if they would have followed up some of the leads that Steve Nutter was given they may have had the chance of finding the girls alive which is makes it even worse that he neglected what he was doing anyways the OSBI searched the scene and did their investigation for that day and then later that night Steve Nutter decided they were done investigating and he released the crime scene to the families first of all there's an obvious homicide here next there's still three people missing and there's arson involved too this is three huge things and they're not sure what happened at all So this obviously isn't protocol, and this obviously should not have been done. They should have locked that crime scene down until they at least knew what had happened. Because if they assume one thing, then it changes to something else. They no longer have the scene to go over and look for new evidence. I also want to mention that during this time period of the first and main search, a car insurance card was found on the property that didn't belong to anyone in either of either the Freeman or Bible family. 
and Steve Nutter decided this was not useful information and that they did not need to follow it up and that it didn't really matter. Now, in the documentaries, it does say they followed this up eventually, but they kind of just took their the person's, like the witness's word for it, saying, oh, I don't know how that got there. Um, it, maybe it fell out or something. I don't know. They didn't know how the insurance card got there, and the police kind of just accepted that. So, Steve Nutter's just not doing his job. And I want you to remember the insurance card piece, because this will relate very closely to the ending of the story. So, at this point, the theory was that Danny Freeman shot his wife and killed her, and then took the girls on the run, and they burned down the house before they left. Which, according to all accounts, like, Danny wasn't a perfect guy, but people did not think he was going to kill his wife and take the girls. He really had no reason to. He was trying to work on his son's case, which Shane Freeman was Ashley Freeman's older brother, and he was shot about a year prior by police. Apparently, he stole a car, and then when police found him, he reached for a gun, and the police officer had to shoot him. But it's a whole big thing I'll get into in a little bit. But the dad was working hard on trying to get justice for his son, so it doesn't seem like the perfect time to run away. Also, Danny used to be involved with drugs because it was a big area for drugs, but he had seemingly not been for years prior to this case. So the next morning, which New Year's Eve day morning, as confusing as that sounds, Laura's parents, Jay and Lorene Bible, and an uncle of Ashley Freeman, decided they would go look through the rubble themselves and see what they could find. So Jay and Lorene arrived first, and Jay started walking through the rubble of the house, and he got to the bedroom, and he saw what he described as ground beef, and he followed it down, and there was a body. So, as gross as this is, the ground beef-looking thing was most likely brain matter. However, he said he could clearly see that there was a body here. There was pants that were intact. There was a shirt that was intact. It was a body. There wasn't mistaking it as, like, just clothes laying there because there was a body inside the clothes. This person was not burned terribly. His face was gone because, as we later find out, he was shot in the head as well. And this happened to be Danny Freeman. So the theory of him killing his wife and taking the girls on the run falls flat at this point. And also, why the hell didn't the police see a second body? There were many OSBI agents as well as normal police officers going through the rubble the day before. So how come nobody noticed a body that a normal civilian could see was clearly there? That doesn't seem right to me. And I could understand if something was laying over it, but Jay Bible swears he did not move anything in the house. 
he just walked through a little bit and looked down and the body was there. So it was in plain view, which I'll never understand how the police did not see that body. Which this makes it even more crazy that the OSBI agent Steve Nutter released the scene because there's another body there and now the whole scene could be contaminated because you didn't close it down. This was a huge move of injustice on his part and this could be what has caused this case to be unsolved for so long. So Jay and Lorene waved up the uncle of Ashley and they got his opinion on it as well. They said, we think there's a body there and they all agreed, yeah, that's a body. So they called the police back, but Loreen Bible, as strong-willed as she was about finding her daughter, she said, you're not doing the investigation anymore. I'm doing the search because you guys are not doing your job. You missed a whole body. So you can be here, but we are heading the search. And just from that, they had tons of volunteers come in and begin to sift through rubble. And this could be seen as a very contaminating piece within the case because if they had found any evidence, it basically would have not been any good and like in a trial. But I don't think Lorene was thinking about a trial right then. I think she just wanted to find the girls. So if anything, good point and help them find the girls, but it wouldn't work in a trial, you know, whatever. She just wanted the girls home. And the police obviously weren't doing their job. So at that point, you kind of, it's a lose-lose situation. But at least one way, you are getting all the evidence that you need. Because if she just let the police do their thing, we probably would have been so much further behind on this case by now. Anyways, when the volunteers looked through the rubble, they did not find any more human remains. But they did find Laura's keys still in the ignition as well as her purse with money inside. I'm not clear if Laura's stuff was found in the house or in her car. I'm assuming in the car, but I'm not sure. So now the theory was that maybe the girls killed the Freeman parents and ran off. But this doesn't work for a few reasons. So first, the girls had no reason to do this. Secondly, the girls had no car no passports, seemingly no money. So how would they have gone away? It just, it didn't seem plausible. But the police still entertained it as a notion, which I guess they should have. They should investigate every piece. But this kind of led them in the wrong direction. Eventually, like, I believe at least a month after the girls were missing, it could have been way longer, but I know it wasn't right when they went missing. A lot of people from the surrounding community stated that they saw the girls at a New Year's Eve party, and that meant that the girls had been taken, but it was possible that they were still alive, because they were obviously kept alive for a few days until New Year's Eve. There were supposedly Polaroid pictures of the girls bound up and being abused that a lot of people saw, and a lot of people were able to recognize the girls in those pictures as the missing girls. However, none of these pictures ever came to light, I don't believe, at least not public light. If the police have them now, it wasn't in any of the documentaries I saw, but it's possible they have them. So, as I mentioned, this community was a big drug community, 
It was mostly meth-fueled, and therefore it seemed plausible that the persons of interest could have committed these crimes. So a few of the witnesses claimed that the New Year's Eve party was at a certain house. So the police did a huge search of the house, but found nothing. And they even searched another house that could have been the New Year's Eve party house that contained a father and a son who were both big criminals, but they found nothing there either. Eventually, we bring in a big-name serial killer who was also a railway killer, and that is Tommy Lynn Sells. He confessed to the murders of the Freeman parents and then taking the girls and killing them. He stated that he kind of just did this because he was in the area, and with police, like, they tracked his movements backwards to find out where he was at what times and what murders could be linked to him. They found that he was around here at the right time to where he could have committed the murders. So, I mean, it was plausible at the time, and they took it so seriously that they even brought Tommy out of jail to navigate them to where the bodies were. But after not finding them, Tommy stated he just wanted time out of his cell and made up the entire story. Another supposed serial killer, I say supposed on this one because it's not clear to me if he was actually convicted in multiple killings, but I know he is highly suspected in a lot of homicides. And this is Jeremy Jones. He is kind of a creepy guy. Like, he's creepy looking. Not to say Tommy Lincells isn't, but something about Jeremy Jones, like, He's, n- he's not okay. Obviously, no serial killers are okay, but just, like, search it up or, like, watch a little snippet of a video, and something kind of just rubs you the wrong way while you're watching those. He stated that he killed the Freemans for a favor for a friend over a drug feud, and it was reported that Danny Freeman used to sell marijuana frequently, so this held some ground when he said that Danny Freeman may be involved in some sort of drugs. He then stated that he brought the girls to Kansas and then killed them, throwing them in a mine. But later on, he ended up recanting his statement. Nevertheless, mines were searched, places in Kansas were searched, but the girls were never found. Now, we're going to jump back to the idea of a cover-up. So, as I said, Shane Freeman, Ashley's older brother had been shot about a year prior. He apparently stole a car, and he had, like, a crime streak, but nothing, like, violent. It was just little petty crimes. And when he stole the car, the police went after him, and when the police stopped him, he seemed to be reaching for a gun, and the police shot him. Now, this seems plausible, but the Freemans were very angry at this and did not think this is what happened. And they had reason to believe this wasn't what happened because the first report, like, first verbal report they got from someone about their son being shot, where the cop came to the house and said, sorry, we had to shoot your son a while ago. And apparently the cop said there was no gun visible. So this kind of started the family on a whole thing. Like, if there wasn't a gun visible 
why was he shot? You shouldn't have been shot and blah, blah, blah. I know this is a huge thing in today's society. People say, all oh, these people shouldn't have been shot, blah, blah, blah. But it is kind of like a police officer's training is to keep society safe. And I think if they believe strong enough that the person may be killing a gun, it may be the better option to shoot them before they can harm anyone else. And that could have been what happened in Shane's case, but also the police could have totally been after him. In small towns, police conspiracies happen more, and I don't know. The police officer also could have accidentally shot him and then knew he didn't have reason to, and then he had to back it up some way. There's so many different things that could have been going on. But anyways, it was reported that in the months prior to this crime, the police had been stalking Danny and his wife and sending them threats, saying like, you can't prove anything because you can't do anything. We're the police. What are you going to do? Stuff like that. However, it was also said that Danny and his wife were stalking police officers and sending them threats. So we can't really be sure which way this thing was going. Anyways... Around the time of their deaths, they were going to file a wrongful death suit, and therefore a lot of people speculate that maybe the police knew they were going to lose this case and they had to cover it up somehow, so they made it look like a drug bust or something along that line. So, more recently now, in 2017, a new sheriff took office in the county and found a black like milk crate of evidence from the case. It was unmarked. It wasn't in the evidence of the case. It wasn't like recorded in there at all. So it was seemingly never noted or used on prior investigations into the case. This box contained, I think it was like 10 to 12 more witnesses that they could interview and many other things. Through this list of witnesses, the police located many ex-girlfriends and acquaintances of Ronnie Busick, Warren Welch, and David Pennington. These were three criminals from the surrounding county who were also involved in meth and drugs and all that stuff that everyone else was involved in. And a lot of people, a lot of these witnesses, claimed that these men often bragged about what they did to the girls, to girlfriends and friends. They often use the threat, I'll do to you what I did to those girls, or something along that line, which obviously seems pretty guilty. It is also discussed that the Polaroids were taken by these men. The witnesses said that many of them had seen these Polaroids, and a lot of them contained one or more of the men with the two girls, and they were apparently raped and tortured for a few days before the men killed them and put their bodies in a pit in Pitcher, Oklahoma. So as of right now, and as of the date of arrest, Ronnie Busick was the only one still alive, and he is in prison right now. I believe he's awaiting trial. So he remains saying that he didn't do anything to the girls, and he has no idea where their bodies are. But the trial is set to start soon. However, Ronnie is older. I believe he's in his 60s or 70s. So it's possible he could have memory loss or 
something along those lines, and he just won't be able to give any knowledge of the case. So there was an interview with the stepdaughter of Pennington, who was one of the three suspects in this case. She stated that the police had interviewed her, and they said that they believed that Pennington lived in Pitcher, Oklahoma at the time of the murders. And that's why they were looking around Pitcher, Oklahoma for the bodies, because they believed they held the girls in that city. But she states that they did not live at that house. They didn't move to that house until a few months after the murders. So there was another house where they lived when the murders occurred. And apparently it's never been searched. Apparently the police haven't really searched there. They're more interested in the house in Pitcher, Oklahoma. But if this woman's right, which I'm assuming she is, she has no reason to lie about where they live. The police were already searching the other place. But she says they need to search there and they might find the bodies. And I believe that is a good path to follow. I know Jay and Loreen Bible, as well as Ashley's uncle, really just hope at some point they can get the girl's remains home and be able to have a proper burial. I mean, we all know by now the girls probably aren't alive. I'm not going to say we're sure they're not alive because people have come back like 20 years later and it's crazy. Some other times people get kidnapped or disappear for long periods of time. But from all the reports, it's seemingly, like, notable that the girls are deceased and they're not coming back. But the family would at least like the closure of someone being convicted for this and the availability to bury their girls. So that is all for the Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman case. It is kind of like they have a suspect and he's going to trial but I included it in this podcast because in America people are innocent until proven guilty so technically this case is still unsolved and even if this man is convicted we still don't completely know why this was all done and where the girls are or any of that so it is still very much an unsolved case And I think it's some case that people should be aware of. It really interested me when I first heard about it. And then I started looking up documentaries and I learned a lot more about it. And it's just, there's so many pieces to it. And it seems equally likely that a drug addict killed these people as the police killed these people. And that's really captivating to me. Anyways, if you want to see me post about murders and missing persons cases that I am interested in, follow me on Twitter at Great Unsolved, and tune in tomorrow for a bonus episode of the Missing 411 cases, as well as some of my own recounts of weird oddities happening in national forests. Growing a business brings pressure. It's not easy to maintain momentum and still keep employees engaged. Fortunately, there's Insperity. Their scalable HR solutions help me with hiring, training, HR administration, and compliance while giving my employees competitive benefit options. When my people are able to thrive, 
my business can adapt and prosper. With Insperity, nothing seems impossible. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. At Kroger, shopping with pickup and delivery is the same as shopping in-store. Same low prices, deals, and rewards on the same high-quality items. It's one small click for groceries, one big win for busy families everywhere. Start your cart today at Kroger.com. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Kroger, fresh for everyone.